around the world, engineers and architects, constructors and owner-operators are using Bentley software solutions to design, build and operate the infrastructure that sustains our economy and our environment, including integrated applications and services built on an open platform our solutions enable digital workflows across engineering disciplines and distributed project teams from the office to the field. And today, leverage digital twin technology to help solve the most complex of engineering challenges. Together, we are advancing infrastructure. Welcome to the latest episode of the Engineers Collective. I'm Claire Smith and I'm editor on New Civil Engineer. And today, together with our features editor, Nadine Badu, I'm going to be talking to Transport for the North's new Chief Executive, Martin Tugwell, about the regional role for delivering transport decarbonisation. In recent months, we have seen the Department for Transport publish its plan under the name of Decarbonising Transport, a better, greener Britain, which was followed shortly by a plan from Highways England. Transport for the North has just concluded a consultation period on its own decarbonisation strategy. And today we're going to be looking at that strategy and the importance of it in a lot more detail. But first, a bit about Martin. He's a civil engineer and a past president of the Chartered Institution of Highways and Transportation and a past chair of the Transport Planning Society. Martin has more than 20 years of experience in strategic transport and infrastructure planning at national, regional and local levels, with previous roles at England's Economic Heartland and the South East England Regional Assembly the Transport Systems Catapult and Oxfordshire and Devon County Councils. In his new role with Transport for the North, which he started this summer, he is responsible for transforming pan-northern connectivity in order to improve productivity and drive economic growth. Transport for the North was England's first sub-national transport body. It is now one of seven, but its aim remains unchanged, to give the North a strong, unified and determined voice on transport investment to benefit the region. So welcome to the Engineers Collective, Martin, and congratulations on your new job too. Thank you, Nadine. And, and thanks, Claire. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great time to be joining Transport for the North. Um, it's been one of the most ambitious and uh, thought leading of the subnational transport bodies. Um, and it's a great time to be joining it. And this topic we're talking about today, decarbonising uh, the transport system, is just one of many things that we're doing as we look to transform the transport system for the North. So, Martin, can you start us off by telling us a bit about Transport for the North's decarbonisation strategy in more, in more detail? I understand it's the first time a regional document of this type has been produced. What's in scope and what are the broad aims of the strategy? So we know that the transport system is one of the most contributing causes of carbon in our society. There's, we've, we've made great progress in other parts of society, but transport is still one of the most polluting parts of our economy and a part of our, our society. So tackling that... It has got to be at the heart of our transport system moving forward. And it's something that was identified in the strategic transport plan when we published that. Um, And the work on the decarbonisation strategy is building upon that, um, using the the knowledge and the technical capability that we have within uh, the team at Transport for the North to be able to set out what are the challenges and to engage our residents and our business communities in a conversation that actually is at the heart of what we do moving forward. So why do you need to have a regional strategy as well as the Department for Transport's decarbonisation strategy? Well, the two are complementary. Um, what we've seen with um, the departments and the government's uh, decarbonisation strategy is it's been doing what only government can do. So when we think about some of the, the really key pieces of policy and legislation, things like um, the, the banning on uh, new petrol and diesel vehicles, 
Only government can do that. And what we've seen is we've seen uh, the industry respond to that. We've seen the car manufacturers and the vehicle manufacturers responding very quickly to that requirement from government. What we need to do then at the regional level is apply uh, some of those uh, national policies. But we need to bring our understanding of what is it that actually makes a place the place it is. Uh, so in a region like the north, where, yes, we've got some really big uh, cities, Manchester, Leeds, Liverpool, etc. Um, but we've also got very large rural areas. And so understanding the actual scale of the challenge when it comes to the transport system, understanding how people are using the transport system, that then allows us to start working with our partners to really understand how we make a difference on the ground. Because at the end of the day, this is about how do we help people and businesses and places adapt and change so they can continue, but also respond to the need of the uh, addressing decarbonisation. So can you tell us in a bit more detail how Transport for the North strategy really differs from the DFTs? Um, well, it, as I said, it builds upon the DFT. So what we've got in there um, is actually a really uh, detailed analysis of what we've got in terms of the transport system. So we've got an understanding of how what's the average uh, car length, how how do how do trips vary according to your your role, your job, how do how, what is the the scale of, of the carbon emission at the moment. And, and what we've then done is we brought in uh, the work that we've done on future travel scenarios to start thinking about, well, if we look to the future, what does, uh, what does the future look like under a variety of scenarios, which could range from uh, just about managing and carrying on as we are at the moment to, to more uh, creative, more innovative solutions, which are perhaps based around uh, digital connectivity or um, zero carbon living in an urban environment. So using those future scenarios to get an understanding of the scale of the problem and the opportunity, but also the opportunities here, because there are undoubtedly opportunities, because um, one of our key drivers is Transport for the North is how the work on transport set out through the Strategic Transport Plan helps realise the economic potential of the North. And there's a huge opportunity there. And it's how do we harness transport to unlock that. And so you've touched on some of the key factors that you needed to consider when you were putting the regional strategy together. I mean, was there anything unexpected there? You've spoken about the opportunities and the scale of the opportunities there. Was there anything unexpected during that process? I wouldn't say that's unexpected. I think what's, what's been helpful is, is really clarifying. So we know that the, the road network is one of the most uh, significant areas for, for the current um, carbon emissions. And we know that the, uh, the longer distance journeys, although they are uh, slightly smaller in number than the short distance, the longer journeys are the ones that are the most polluting. So that's where you can start thinking how we can then start to tie in what we're trying to do with things like Northern Powerhouse Rail, which is improve the connectivity by rail between our major urban areas, and how that then helps address the decarbonisation uh, agenda. But we've also seen how still an awful lot of our journeys are short distance, less than two kilometres, sometimes between two and five kilometres. And we can see how uh, we can work then with our partners to um, highlight the more local connectivity, the improvements in walking and cycling and public transport locally, that will actually make that difference. And of course, that's where the two then come together, isn't it? Because if we're relying upon an improved rail offer to connect Leeds and Manchester or, or Hull with, with Sheffield, you need to have the confidence that the local connectivity 
once you get to the station, you can get your onward journey by convenient means. So that's where the two come really closely together. And that's where we've gone into a level of detail, which, uh, frankly, you, you can't do at a national level. But without that national policy around encouraging zero emission vehicles, uh, things like hydrogen, etc., without that national context, it's harder for us to be doing some of this thing at a regional and then local level. So given the size of the area that you're looking at, you must have had to engage with quite a few different stakeholders and groups. Um, how did you work with them to create the strategy? And was it hard to gain consensus about the approach that you've outlined in the document? Um, so we've, we've reached out to as many as we possibly can. Um, and we've got, a, a, over the years, working with um, uh, developing the strategic transport plan, we've got a really strong network of working with our partners, working with our business communities, reaching out to uh, the local communities themselves. Um, we've got a really strong network that we can build on regularly to kind of add value to our, um, to our document. I think at this stage, because we're setting out, if you like, the baseline and we're, we're identifying opportunities and seeking views about how we take this forward, um, getting that consensus around the document itself um, wasn't hard because it's actually setting out and and crystallizing the opportunities and the scale of the challenge the challenge moving forward will now be um there's been a lot of positive reaction to uh, to the consultation and and we'll be looking to take that forward uh, into the autumn as we prepare the final document but for me the, the the challenge then is is really how do we start implementing this strategy that's where it's going to get more challenging and that's where some of the the conversations that we've had so far are foundations as we then start to think about, okay, so what does this really mean in terms of implementing it? So what are some of the key issues that make the challenge different in your region compared to other regions? Or, I mean, is there a lot of common ground between different regions? So there are some common factors. I think um, one of the things that, that uh, we have as, a, as the North is uh, we obviously have this mix. We have the large... Uh, metro city areas, but we also have very large rural communities. And this is where we need to be really careful in terms of moving forward, because in terms of trying to address um, the, the, the sort of the, the, the or deliver on the decarbonisation of the transport system, we need to understand and we need to remember that there are large parts of our uh, region, la- large numbers of our communities for whom there aren't any choices at the moment. That if you're in the rural communities, there is probably very little choice other than using your car. So we still need to tackle the issue, but we mustn't disenfranchise um, those rural communities from, from, from their opportunities themselves. Within the larger areas, we've got, um, we've got issues of inequality that we need to address. Uh, and one of the challenges, I think, with the decarbonisation agenda as we move forward is making sure it doesn't um, become a barrier in its own right to people realising their potential. Transport is a wonderful enabler. It connects people and places with opportunities and services. But for some parts of our community, um, it's actually a barrier. They can't afford the transport or there actually isn't the option there. So we need to make sure that in seeking to deliver decarbonisation, we don't inadvertently make that worse for them. The other big issue for us, uh, which is probably similar to many regions, is that of east-west connectivity. Um, We've got a fantastic rail system in places, uh, but the legacy of our Victorian forebearers is that a lot of that's focused around connections to and from London. And of course, 
a modern a society is a lot more fluid, a lot more, um, uh, a lot more just sort of generic in terms of where the connections are. So tackling east-west connectivity remains a key issue for us, and that's where again some of the things like Northern Powerhouse Rail are so fundamental because it addresses that barrier. So the strategy sets out a pathway to achieve near zero from tra- surface transport in the region by twenty forty-five. How difficult is it to do that without having a clear view on government funding for that kind of time frame? Um, so uh, the clarity on funding is actually um, a, a, an issue that we need to address, not just because of decarbonisation. If we're going to uh, invest in our communities, if we're going to give confidence to businesses, then we need to have that clarity on funding uh, more generally, Because uh, and that's something very much that we're pushing forward as part of the the Northern Transport Charter. Um, I think we need to be careful as well when we talk about funding um, that we, we, we don't lose sight of the fact that one of the opportunities we've got is to use the funding we do have in different ways. I've touched on earlier about how, if you think in terms of improving the longer distance movements through investment in Northern Powerhouse Rail, uh, it, then it's about how do you invest even more in the local connectivity. And of course, we know things like uh, improved cycling and walking are probably more affordable in some instances and actually have a really dramatic impact in terms of providing uh, improved uh, connections locally. So some of this is going to be about being more creative how we use the funding that we do have. But we also need to recognise that we need to make the case to government uh, for more investment in transport to enable this transition. If you look at the work we've done uh, in the uh, in the transport strategy, decarbonisation strategy for 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 the for TFN, you'll see that we've plotted out both the trajectory in terms of decarbonisation, but we've also started talking in terms of carbon budgets. And it's very easy sometimes to get focused on whether it's 2050, 2045, and forget that actually we're emitting carbon now, and the sooner we start reducing the amount of carbon we consume, the sooner we'll start getting all that trajectory. But otherwise, we're actually just adding to the problem in the short term. And there's a very telling diagram in, in, the, in our strategy, which shows that uh, if you think in terms of carbon budgets, even under the most optimistic travel scenario, we're going to start exceeding the carbon budget for the next 30 years in about 10 years' time. That's quite shocking, isn't it? And I suppose that really shows why the action's needed. Absolutely. I've heard somebody, I wish I'd thought of this, but um, somebody once described uh, the climate change um, challenge um, as a pandemic in slow motion. And I think that's actually, it's quite a neat way of trying to understand the challenge we face as a profession, because we know we can see around us in the headlines this summer, we've seen right across the world, we've seen examples of extreme weather events. So we know increasingly there's there's a challenge there. We also know as a profession that the decisions we've got locked in to deliver are adding to that problem. And it's really the sooner we start the transition, the better, because otherwise we're going to get worse before we get better itself. And so in terms of tackling that challenge, is there any other action that you'd like to see from government that would help to achieve those broad aims that are set out in the strategy? 
I think this is very much um, about working with the government. I think what was being really encouraging in the in the government's decarbonisation st- strategy was the explicit recognition of the role of Transport for the North and the other STBs in providing that that kind of overview at a regional level that allows us to kind of work with our partners, provide that uh, uh, that leadership, and provide that kind of more detailed framework. But I think then we need to work lock stock with government moving forward. So um, how do we work with government to, to take some difficult decisions around the allocation of funding? How do we actually help government join up? Because one of the things we haven't talked about yet is, again, we've got to shift our thinking as a transport profession away from thinking it's a transport problem, therefore there's a transport solution, to thinking in terms of systems that transport and the why we travel is a consequence of where do we work? Where are our family? Where are our friends? What's happening with our our town centres? And we've got to get better at thinking in terms of systems and understanding that uh, the opportunity perhaps with um, the decline of the traditional high street to repurpose our town centres, to make them places where people want to go for um, a living experience or some entertainment will change the nature of the transport system that we need. And therefore, there's an opportunity to do things differently there again. So systems thinking, which is increasingly a part of the subnational subnational transport bodies thinking, we need to kind of help government in some of its joining up there um, to be able to think about that moving forward. Definitely sounds like a two-way street there, doesn't it? So I realise that the consultation is only just closed, but do you have a feeling for how the public has responded to the strategy yet? Um, it's been really positive, Claire, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased to see the scale of the engagement from um, our, our partners and our, uh, our communities, because that gives us a foundation on which we can build moving forward. What we'll do now is we'll work through those responses. We'll actually kind of make sure that we pick up anything else that's come through from uh, the government's decarbonisation plan and indeed Highways England, so that when we produce our final strategy uh, later this autumn, it will be building upon all of those pieces of evidence. But I think what's clear is this understanding that we need to do things differently, that we need change. The challenge for us, and this is where the leadership provided by our politicians around the Transport for the North Board is so important, is is how do we kind of make that transition without being too disruptive, without without preventing opportunities to be realised, without forestalling the economic opportunities that we are looking to unlock as well. Because that, at the end of the day, is about um, how we kind of make progress, is sustainable economic growth rather than growth at any cost. So in your view, what do you think the biggest challenges in delivering the strategy? So I think there are two or three areas that, that strike me. One is, um, and, I, and I think this applies to anything we're doing now moving forward, it's continuing the conversation with, the, um, with our residents and our business community. This isn't a piece of work where we can do our strategy, publish it and then kind of move on to how we implement it. We've got to work with the community because there are some real challenges there. I think we need to continue to challenge the way we look at um, investment priorities. And that's very much part of our uh, decarbonisation strategy. We've got to stop thinking in terms of here's an investment. How do we mitigate the impact of it? 
and we've got to start thinking in terms of what do we need to achieve as an outcome and what are the investments that we need to be able to get to that outcome. And the third thing for me, Claire, is is, is being um, touching on a point we've, we've talked about before, the flexibility in the funding um, and being more creative about how we use the funding to, to deliver the, the outcomes that we're seeking. So, I mean, it doesn't matter how many systems you put in place, it's all about the behaviour of the people who live in the region where, you, where you're working. What are the top three things that people living in the Transport for the North region can do in order to help you deliver on the targets set out in the strategy? What would you like them to do? I think one of the things that uh, is a very practical step is is we've seen through the pandemic that um, people have rediscovered the way of doing things differently. Um, in in many instances, the, the the flexibility that it comes for those people who who can work remotely means that they've been able to rediscover their 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 local towns and their local centres. So they've been walking and cycling rather than maybe using the car. And and let's see if we can continue that because it's a really good um, it's a really good way forward. We need to encourage people to think again about um, when they're buying a new vehicle, is it an electric vehicle or a zero emission vehicle? Because that's uh, in its own right, we know it's going to be uh, part of the trajectory moving forward, but we know it's also going to be helpful for them uh, moving forward. And I think the third thing for me is, is really just get involved in this. This is this is one example where um, there's lots of activity happening at the local level through local authorities, community groups, or what have you. Get involved in it, be part of it, because you're talking about how do we shape the future. And in many ways, we've all got a responsibility individually as well as professionally to be part of that change. And a lot has been said about the need for new technology in order to effectively decarbonise transport. So how much innovation is needed in the next few decades in order to really create those new technologies we need to deliver on your strategy? And what role does decarbonate play in that? Uh, well, the re- the relationship with decarbonate is really uh, a really important one. Um, and there's some fantastic uh, scientists and, and, and thought leaders there. And uh, I've worked with many of them over my career and I know the quality of the advice uh, and the challenge that they bring. And indeed, decarbonate being part of the uh, advisory group, which has actually overseen the development of the decarbonisation strategy. Innovation is going to be important. The key for me, though, is for us in Transport for the North and indeed the wider public sector to, to help the innovators is to be clear about what the outcome is that we're trying to achieve. And that's where our decarbonisation strategy is so important because it sets the trajectory it sets the scale of the challenge and it kind of helps be clear what is it we need to achieve. Now, if you're an innovator, that's fantastic because you know what you're trying to aim for. Um, and we're starting to see some of that innovation coming through uh, in terms of uh, some of the work that perhaps won't going on around, around hydrogen. And we've got some really fantastic centres of excellence within the North one of the things that attracted me to the role with Transport for the North was recognising that, you know, if we go back in history to uh, indeed the the origins of the institution itself, you know, the founders of uh, the institution were those Victorian engineers who were at the heart of the Industrial Revolution and very much at the north of of, of the country. And I think we've got that same innovation and leadership coming from the political and business community of the North for the new green economic revolution that's going to be at the front of the 21st century. 
And you just touched on hydrogen. Obviously, government published its uh, hydrogen strategy in, in August. So what role do you see hydrogen playing in decarbonising transport and what challenges does it present? Well, I think we'll start to see some of the challenges being explored in initiatives like the the, the, the country's first hydrogen transport hub on the, in Tees Valley. And we've got centres of excellence in hydrogen already around Liverpool uh, and over on the, uh, the east coast around Hull as well. And so... Having these centres of excellence um, gives us a chance to, to to learn and explore the potential. I, I think there's a there's a lot to be done potentially with hydrogen. Uh, it's a it's it's potentially a very efficient uh, f- uh, fuel source. We need to make sure though that it's in itself it's 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 kind of as clean as possible. And I know there are some challenges there, but I think with these centres of excellence that we've got across the north we've got the ability to start exploring that and building upon our knowledge and then sharing it more generally. There's a lot of things here about um, how do we collaborate more generally. We said at the start that your strategy is the first of its type on a regional level. Are the other subnational transport bodies working on their own strategies now? Yes, and, and it's one of the things where, um, uh, again, there's the seven subnational transport strategies where we were the first, we're the only statutory one um, so far. Um, but there's a there's a network of of work between the the the, the STBs, and indeed um, uh, decarbonisation, along with things like freight uh, and and an and EV infrastructure. These are themes where um, there's 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 a it's good to get to work together and share good practice um the the benefit of each individual's stb doing their own strategy is a bit like we touched on at the start uh, it allows those strategies to be tailored to the opportunities and the challenges of the region some regions are have maybe got more scales of growth some are more uh, some are more uh, widespread so it allows each strategy to be tailored to the region's needs but fundamentally working together, uh, we can uh, share our experience, we can draw upon the strength, and in some instances, share resources, which is more efficient, more efficient and effective for, uh, for public investment. And so in terms of showing that best practice, you know, what advice would you give to those bodies that are just setting out and creating their own decarbonisation strategies based on the lessons that have been learned by Transport for the North in recent months? I think the first um, thing is 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 the power of the evidence base. One of the key roles of of transport for the north is that sense is is being that that focus for trusted evidence that actually allows us to understand where we're starting from and where we need to get to. So having that evidence base, developing that evidence base in in, in partnership with the the academic community, I think engaging with your community on the challenges because. This is not going to be easy. And I've talked in other places about the need to have an honest conversation. Uh, and I think that's a very key role in part of uh, the decarbonisation strategies. And I think the other piece of advice is be ambitious. What we've seen over the pandemic period is we've seen quite dramatic changes in the way travel and transport is used. And and as a profession, we're, we can often be guilty of thinking it's going to take five or 10 or 15 years to make a difference. What the pandemic has shown is you can do things differently. Some of the received wisdoms that underpin our approach now actually rightly need to be challenged. And we shouldn't be frightened of being ambitious and thinking that we can, we can actually achieve change 
sooner rather than later. And, and as we've touched on throughout this conversation, we should be under no illusions. The sooner we start making those changes, absolutely the better. And the more chance we've got of at least minimising some of the impacts that we're seeing at the moment in terms of um, extreme weather events. So you mentioned earlier the need for collaboration across the regions. What work has actually been done to share knowledge about decarbonising transport with the other regions? And do you see a, a need for a greater level of collaboration between the subnational transport bodies in the future to effectively deliver on regional decarbonisation strategies? So I think I think we're building. I think we've got a really good collaborative network at the moment. Uh, if I go back to my former role, um, which was working for England's Economic Heartland, um, they're uh, providing a bit of leadership on behalf of all the uh, the STBs around decarbonisation. So they're acting as a bit of a, a collator and, a, and, a, and an enabler of the collaboration, and that's an illustration of how we work as STBs um, uh, on these big issues. I think what's become clear is the more we work together, the more we'll learn and the more progress we'll make. And I think, again, what's interesting is, is and it's actually really encouraging, is to see the significance being given by the department to the added value that we bring as subnational transport bodies. And I think that that explicit recognition in the, the government's transport decarbonisation strategy is a reflection of uh, of the journey, if you like, that all seven STBs have been on over the last few years and a reflection of the value department puts on us. Uh, and I think uh, it also puts a reflection on the value our partners put on the work we do. That's great. I think that's just about all we've got time for today. Thank you for joining us, Martin. It's clearly a really exciting time to have joined Transport for the North and we look forward to following your progress on delivering the strategy over the coming years. Thank you, Claire. Thanks, Adina. It's been great talking with you. And uh, yes, it's going to be challenging but I'm always optimistic about these things and I think we can we can look forward with some confidence that as professionals, we're stepping up to the plate, we're working with our political and business leaders and through things like Transport for the North Board, providing that leadership that's going to make a difference on the ground. Thank you. Join us again soon for another episode of The Engineers Collective. The Engineers Collective is powered by Bentley Systems with industry-leading software solutions used by professionals in organisations of all sizes for the design, construction and operation of roads and bridges, rail and transit, water and wastewater, public works and utilities, buildings, campuses and industrial facilities. Bentley can help accelerate your digital transformation. To find out more, visit www.bentley.com forward slash the Engineers Collective.